So we've been busy with a sermon series called Love Defined. And, and I've said last week, how do you define love? Goodness, I mean, there's so many ways. How do I define love? Is it a relationship? Is it um, when you're in love for the first time and your head goes one way and the body other way? You know, it's like you're so in love. How do you define love? It, there's so many ways, but if you don't use the right source, you will never define love, truly. Now, we've been doing this series since last week was the first one, and I spoke last week, I spoke about your superpower. Did you know you had a superpower? And it's called love. When you act out of love, it is like a superpower. It changes lives. Now, Paul says in Ephesians 3 that we are empowered by God. You are empowered. And what, empowered by what? Your love actually empowers us. It empowers us to such a degree that it actually brings change. And, um, and that's amazing. The, we've got the power to change lives through, in and through our lives as you reach out, as you have a good word, as you, as you show love to people, it brings change. Jesus didn't come, sit in the highest mountain and shout it, I'm going to bring change. And all of you are going to feel it right now. Are you ready? No, no. He became man. He walked among us. His feet were dirty. Jesus was a normal human being like all of us. He came and he acted out love. Isn't that amazing? Now, our core scripture for the series is Matthew 22. And the Pharisees came to Jesus and they wanted to trap him. It's like, we're going to trap you with, we're experts of the law and we're going to see if you're fake. So they asked him the following question. They said, an expert in religious law tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? So Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Then he said, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets, uh, demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Great scripture, we all know it so well, um, and we've said it in kids' church all our lives. And it's a, but, but let's look at the context of it. The experts of, in the religious law, the experts, the Pharisees, came to him and said, we want to trap you, let's prove you're fake. And every time Jesus came and he educated them with their own law, <laughs> used their own law to educate them, and he used their own arrogance to show them who they really are. Now these two laws came out of Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19, so you had to know your Bible. It's not just a little verse some, somewhere in the Bible, this is all the great commandments. The great commandments was packed into the Old Testament, and you could find love the Lord your God in Deuteronomy 6. But in Leviticus 19, it speaks about love the na- your neighbors, yourself. As I said last week, if you study the Scriptures, you see that the Old Testament law and the New Testament grace directs us to the same end. It all comes to the same end. Love God and love others. That's how it is. But the motivation that leads to the end for those two is way different. The Old Testament comes, the Old Testament laws motivated people to love God and love others through fear and intimidation. And if you fail, whew, you'll be sorry. That's the law. But then the New Testament grace comes and it freely gives us a God kind of love. And you guess what? Unconditional. 
There's no condition to it. I'll give it to you because I love you. You see, it tells us to love as we have been loved. Go to Ephesians 4. Paul speaks about it. Whole chapter. Now, today we're going to go a bit further. And we're going to go to stuff that I want to speak about love in a different way, but it touches all of our lives daily. I'll get there later. But I I read the story of a farmer who drove um, close to the the Kalahari Gemsburg Park, big park, and he saw on the road there was a bushman lying on the road with his ear to the ground listening. And he parked next to the the bushman and said, Hey, friend, what are you tracking? Because they're good trackers. And the, the man looked up at him with his ear on the ground and he said, he said, man and woman, late cities, three kids, one barking dog with a big car traveling 120 kilometers an hour. And the farmer's like, wow, <laughs> that's amazing. Did you get all that just from listening? He said, no, they've just ran over me five minutes ago. <laughs> So here's our challenge for Christians today. Who are we running over that we ought to be loving? That we ought to be pulling towards Christ? Come on, let's be honest with each other. See, it's an honesty sermon. When it speaks about love, it all comes down to how you act. Not just how you feel. Feelings is just one part of it. But a love actually is how you act. Now we're going to look at a different story, same context today. And it's also, also about Jesus and also about an expert. But if you go to Luke 10, verse 25 to 29, let's read and, and I'll speak about it. It says, one day, an expert in religious law, here we go again, stood up and, to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. Eh? How many of you thought about that? What should I do to in, inherit eternal life? Then Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? So Jesus immediately turns it around. Let me ask you a question. Let let me answer your question with a question. So this man came and he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Well done. Do this and you will live. It's amazing, eh? Then he says, then the man wanted to justify his actions. Oh, man, religion. <laughs> he wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Oh, man, an expert in religious law. Now, the, the New King James actually speaks about a lawyer. Some, scripture, some translation speaks about an expert in religious law, most of it. But the New King James from the King James actually speaks about a lawyer who came in. Now, you know, th- those guys are good with their words. Eh? They know how to prove you right or wrong. And, and he was just giving it to Jesus that morning. So Jesus again took him back, back exactly to his expertise. And he said, so how do you interpret it? Tell me. So we see this man quoted the same two commandments that Jesus quoted when he was asked the same questions by the Pharisees in Matthew 22. And Jesus answered him by saying, this is Jesus' answer. He says, listen man, before you can come to the requirements of heaven, you must first do two things. You must believe in God and you must love him. 
Don't, don't worry about the requirements. This is the first two most important. You need to believe in God at least to go to heaven. But you know what else? You must love him. I think that knocked him for a six. You'll see now why I'm saying that. He says, Jesus says, and, and that will change, if you do this, that will change your do from seeking the law to understanding grace. And that will lead you to a different do. You see, the law came and said, what do I need to do to get there? Jesus said, ha, ah, you need to first love, and that will change your do. Big time. So Jesus says, don't focus on the doing, first focus on the loving and the being. And that will lead you to the doing, because after you've encountered God, man, everything changed. Don't just be religious. See, God was just showing out his religion. But then this man was in a corner, knowing that he was loving himself much more than others. He knew, I'm in trouble, so he wanted to justify himself. <laughs> you see, this man wanted to justify the scripture so that it will fit his position. Have you ever heard that? So, so many times. People want to change the scripture to justify their position or their act or their thing that they're doing. You see, the religious expert was speaking, was seeking to be right with God on the basis of his own actions. I want to be right with God. This is my action, so how do I justify this in the middle? I don't want the truth of the word. I just want to justify myself. So it's important for us to realize that self-justification, oh man, we all see that so many times. Self-justification always produces what? Excuses. If you want to see someone who self, want to self-justify himself, you'll hear excuse after excuse, after excuse, after excuse. But see, repentance and faith towards God produces fruit. It produces the right kind of obedience. Repentance and faith. That man could have said, oh, I was wrong, I repent. I think Jesus' answer would be much different. But he was so full of himself that he wanted to justify himself. But then Jesus asked him, oh, so, so, but then he asked Jesus, okay, so, um, so who is your neighbor actually? Because he knew he didn't love his neighbor, he loved himself much more, so now he wanted to justify himself. Okay, but tell me who my neighbor truly is. Is it just the people I see every day? Who is it, Jesus? So Jesus, amazingly, told him a story. <laughs> I, think in, I think these guys are like, okay, but let me go through the scriptures and I'll prove. No, Jesus said, let me just tell you a story quickly. So listen to this parable that Jesus told, a very well-known parable. He said in verse 30, he said, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed up to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandages, bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, where he took care of him. 
The next day he handed the, in, the, the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs, runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now, with, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, sorry, Jesus asked. Then the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. <laughs> Tough word, isn't it? I love how intentional Jesus was. Now, if you look at this parable from a Jewish perspective, because we need to look from a Jewish perspective, you can't look from Afrikaans or an English perspective, because it was written in that time where, from, from in, in the Jewish time, in the Bible time. So if you look from that perspective, man, something amazing pops up. And you actually realize what Jesus gave this man. Now, firstly, it's important to take note of a couple of things. Firstly, we need to take note that this man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Okay, we need to see this context. Jericho was the first city the Israelites conquered. When they went over the, Je the, the Jordan River, they went through the river, and now, yeah, we're in the, the promised land. No, no, now the fighting starts, because now you have to take this land. And the first city they went into was Jericho. And what was probably the most important city to take in or to take over or to conquer as you were taking the land of Canaan. Why? Because it was the entrance to all the passageways through the mountains into Canaan. It was the entrance into everything. Now the distance between the two cities. Now listen, he traveled from Jerusalem to Jericho. The distance only 27 kilometers. But this is the major thing that caught my attention. Jerusalem is 750 meters above sea level. That's quite high. Stellenbosch is zero. Or a little bit higher than, than this, probably 50 meters. 750 meters above sea level. But going to Jericho, you drop 1,000 meters in elevation to 250 meters below sea level. So for 27 kilometers, you walk downhill. And, 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 and this road, <laughs> this road was a desert country, was, was actually a desert, it was desert country. It was rocky, it was, it was, it was treacherous, it was a, it, it spun down all the way to, to Jericho, but it provided tons of hiding places for robbers to attack. And it was unsuspected, because they couldn't see it, you, because you go through turns and, and it's incredible. Now, this road was also very well known by all Israelites because everybody traveled this road because there was a trade between Jerusalem and Jericho. It was well known. It was actually called the Way of Blood, this road. Very dangerous. It was called because this attacks that, that, we've, that Jesus was speaking about there, this, this was just a story. He was using the context. It happened very often. So Jesus, Jesus, being intentional as he is, used a context that everyone understood. And he said, let me, let me paint a picture for you, Mr. Expert in Religious Law. So, so this exactly what, what Jesus was speaking. This, this was happened weekly. The man was robbed, beaten to death, almost half to death, left at the, the side of the, the, the road. So, so we read about three men came past him. Three men. Now the first one was the priest. And he saw the man lying there, and what did he do? He immediately walked way past. Didn't want to get close to the guy. Then the second guy, 
they call a temple assistant, but they were actually called Levites. Now, Levites was also workers in the temple, but he saw the man and he did the same, walked way past on the other side of the road, didn't want to get too close. Now, I want, you, want, want to remind you that we need to remember that these two men, a priest and a Levite, were both religious men. They were religious men. They worked in the temple. A priest was the guy who sacrificed all the offerings to God. I mean, he, he, he's, he's in the temple all day. He was sacrificing for your sin, for that guy's sin. He was the guy who sacrificed for them. And a Levite was a guy who served in church. He was a general assistant, all of them. They were security general assistants. They were maintenance workers. But all of these guys, especially the priests and the Levites, they were extensively trained in the law. They knew the law. They knew the Bible. So if you would ask any of those two guys if they knew the two greatest commandments, they would absolutely tell you without thinking. They knew the greatest commandments. So why did they miss this moment? It's a good question. Why did they miss the moment when they knew the two greatest commands, love the, love the Lord your God, but also love your neighbor? You see, remember, Jesus was helping this religious expert realize something. So why did these two guys miss it? Now, Jesus, don't mention this in his parable. Why? Because he was talking from a Jewish perspective. Everybody knew why. Everybody knew. Now, let me give you some backdrop. If you... Um, if, if, if you know the law of the Jewish law, you knew that if you touch a dead body, you were declared unclean. If you touch blood of anything, of, of a human God, you are be declared unclean, especially when you're a priest or a Levite. Now, when this happened to you, you need to do some, you, you need to do a, 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 um, a what, do, what do you call it? Um, a ritual. <laughs> so you were declared unclean. So what you need to do is you move two weeks away from the city, far from everyone, and isolate yourself. And then go through some rituals and offerings and, and, and just to be clean again. So for them to touch that body would, be, would actually come to a place where they would declare unclean. They would be taken away from their duties for two weeks, their religious duties. Man, it's important duties, this. Taken away from this. So, so maybe they were afraid for, of contamination. They don't want to be contaminated. Or maybe they were fearing for their lives. Maybe it was a safety thing. Because, I mean, it could have been a trap. It's, it's, a, it's a, the way of blood. This road is dangerous, so maybe I'm not going to try this. I'm just going to walk past and I'm not going to do this. Or maybe they were just didn't want to get involved. I didn't have the time. This was a complicated situation. I don't have time for this. I've got important stuff to do. I'm a priest. I'm a Levite. The Pharisees are waiting for me. So all legitimate reasons, if you look from a human perspective, all legitimate reasons. But the whole issue was this. It was all about them. All about them. I first cared about what happened to me than to them. I, 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 me, me, me. You remember last week? So if you really want to know if someone loves, it's not all about them, it's all about others. Love God and love others. All about me. But then the third man arrived, a Samaritan. 
A Samaritan man. Now, if you know the history and you know the scriptures, that Samaritans and Jews hated each other. And this is not just, I'm just going lightly about it. They despised each other. They couldn't stand the sight of each other. Why? Because of religious sin. But can I shock you? It's not just religious differences. It was racial as well. It was a severe prejudice and racism. It sounds familiar, isn't it? We live in a country that faces prejudice. We live in a country that racism is not just something we speak about. It's actually something we see. And here, Jews and Samaritans hated each other so much. You go, guess what? They both believed in God. Just the way they did things differently. And they hated each other. Now, the first and the second men were both this man that were lying there. It was, it was their fellow men. It was a fellow Jew. They should have loved him, but they left him. They didn't reach out to him. Why? Can I give you one answer? Religion. Absolute, pure religion. My job that I have to do is much more important than your life. I'm religious. I am very important. I need to go and offer sacrifices. I can't care to you now. Religion. You see, they were more fearful to obey the law than to love a brother. That's what the law did. That's what the law did. You see, fear kept them from loving their neighbor. It kept them from obeying the second greatest commandment, loving others, because, man, maybe they said, well, the first commandment is loving God. I'm loving God here. But they realized, they didn't realize that by loving God, it, the natural thing is loving others. It's who God is. How many times in our, love, in our lives does fear keep us from stepping out to love others? Man, if I had to ask myself that question, I did. I mean, I was... I had to repent a few times. How many times did fear keep me from helping? Fear kept me from stepping out. You see, law and religion had impossible standards to keep. Impossible. If I go through all the rules, I think there were 600 and something rules in the law that you had to obey. If you miss one, you're condemned. It had impossible standards to keep, and the fear of failure kept these people away from stepping out and loving others, going above and beyond. But then Jesus came and he destroyed the power of the law with what? With the grace on the cross. <laughs> that's, do, you, do you know, that's why Jesus had to destroy the law. Because the law was impossible to keep. It pulled people further from God. Grace pulled them closer. And he, through the cross, he came and he set us free. He set us free from fear of failure. And then what did he do? He empowered us to step out and love others. That's what he did. That's how powerful the cross was. So the golden question is, what made this Samaritan guy, he knew the guy that lied there, would probably, if he was alive and well, would curse him, would spit at him. Because that's what they did. They spit at each other. What made him do something different than the other two men? Good question, isn't it? Let's read the scripture again. I love this. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And I love that. 
probably one of the greatest words that we can't miss in the scriptures. Guess what, what he did because of the compassion he did. He went over, he soothed his wounds. He bandaged him up. He put him on his own donkey. He walked while this guy rode. He put him in, a, in an inn, and it's a different story of what an inn is. I'm not going to go into that. But then he took care of him. And the next day, he gave the owner of the inn money to say, please just take care of him. If I come back and it, he ate more food, then I'll give you more money. That's what compassion did. See, this man, this, this man was moved with one of the most powerful emotions. And this mo- emotion caused him to act. It caused him to do something. Not just say something. To do something. See, he was moved with compassion. Now, compassion led him to do what others didn't do. That what others didn't want to do. He touched a bloody body. A bloody, a bloody body. <laughs> he touched an almost dead man with blood all over. He touched all those things. Knowing that he also believed that he would be unclean. Because the Samaritans believed the same thing. Then he treated the wounds... He used his own wine that disinfected the wounds. He used the olive oil that, that um, it was like sulf formed it. It's very healthy. He used his own. It's, it's expensive stuff in that time. And then while he carried this man on his donkey, he cared for him. He gave him shelter. He gave him food. That's what compassion did. So if we look at our own lives today, I believe our greatest challenge Come on, I said it last week. Our greatest challenge is when it comes to act out of love. Now, how does it look? This is our greatest challenge. Our greatest challenge is to distinguish in this moment, to distinguish between two things. Do you know why people don't give out of love? Let me show you the, the difference. It's either compassion or manipulation. And this is a big thing for us today. I want to get into your face a bit this morning because it got into my face. Why am I not compassionate? Because I've been manipulated so many times in my life that my heart just hardened. Boom. I don't want to be compassionate because everybody manipulates my lo- the love that God has given me. You see, personally, one of my greatest challenges, I must say, do I give or don't I give? I come on the streets and we've got so many homeless people in our streets. They're in my car window. They, I walk into them alongside the road. So this is my greatest challenge. Do I give or don't I give? Come on. We all, I, I know we speak the same language. All of us. And I know so many of us struggle with this. Why? Why do we struggle? Because it's a, because it's a spiritual thing. I'm going to show you now why. See, just like fear is a spirit, manipulation is a spirit. It's a spiritual thing. And it actually goes hand in hand. I don't have time to go deeper into that and teach you. But it, uh, what, I, what you need to know today is that just as fear is a spirit, 2, 2, 2, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear but of love power and a sound mind. Just as fear is a spirit, manipulation goes hand in hand. It's a spiritual thing. And it's driven by the enemy. And when we walk into a situation where we are asked to give, we are encounter a moment where we need to give or ask to give, 
We're trying to make a decision with our intellect when we're facing a spiritual enemy. <laughs> really. See, we need to be led by the Spirit. And people feel guilty about all these things in their lives. Oh, I feel so guilty that I didn't give. But I, don't know, I mean, I felt like, I, I feel, I felt like the priest and the Levite. Every time this happens to me. I don't have time to give now. Now, I'm not saying that every homeless man or woman or people that's struggling is demon-possessed. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it's a spiritual thing. I'm not saying it's demon-possessed. I'm just saying it is a spiritual thing. See, unfortunately, people know how to manipulate a heart that is filled with the love of God. It is. They can see it in your eyes. They see it in your heart. They can see how your face reacts when they speak to you. And people that is needy are experts in it. And it's not wrong because when you're hungry, you're hungry. And because so many good Samaritans in this world has been manipulated, their hearts has grown hard and unresponsive towards giving. Maybe it's just me. I personally believe it's a manipulative spirit that's out there to harden our hearts towards needy people. Really. I mean, I have friends that say, man, I've always given, but it's become so irritating and manipulative. I don't want to see that. And their hearts have grown so hard that they don't step out and give anymore. They don't give their time. They don't have to. They're irritated. They're this. But it's a spiritual battle. Because the enemy hates it when we give. The enemy hates it when we love. So when I run into a needy person, I've so many times just given because, because they've seen my heart and they've manipulated the love in my heart for them. Now here's the, here's the truth. How do we listen and discern as the body of Christ? It's a good question. How do we listen and discern in moments where we really, we want to give, but we feel manipulated? How do I discern this? Now, I've got a few easy questions that I do, that personally, and you can write this down, it's not up there. Number one is, I ask myself the following question. Do I feel obligated or do I feel guilty afterwards that I didn't give? Because if you feel obligated and guilty, it's manipulative. It's not from love. It's not. Because love doesn't manipulate, feel, let you feel guilty or obligate, give you an obligation. Number two is, if I'm not giving and I walk away, do I suddenly question myself or my motive? Come on, it's not just, I always, then I drive away, it's like, oh, Henny, you're not such a bad Christian. I start questioning myself and my, my motives like, Henny, where's your love for people? It's manipulation. As soon as you get there, it's, it's, you can discern that spirit. And then thirdly, when, when you start giving and you're in that person, in that place, you realize there's always strings attached. I just need five rand because I need to do this. And as soon as you give that five rand, you know, actually the five rand, I need to get this and do this and there's strings attached. And the manipulation starts running. Now I'm not saying, you need to hear me very very well this morning. I'm not saying we shouldn't give and now you have to discern everything. I'm, I'm saying let the Spirit lead your heart. 
We need to be led by the Holy Spirit, not by a manipulative spirit, by making you feel guilty not to give. I rather want to pull people towards Christ than give him a hundred rand and they've got food for two days and then they're still at the same place spiritually as they have been. Listen to what Paul said. I mean, Paul hits this thing on the head. Listen to it. Romans 16. Sorry. Oh, I've already been there. Romans 16, verse 17 to 19 says, Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith. How many of you, your faith has been upset when you feel, oh, I haven't given, I'm so bad, I'm so this, oh, Lord, please help my unbelief. No, no. He says, don't watch out for this. Um, who causes divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Now, I know Paul, it's a bit of a different context, but he says, stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests. See, when your own personal interests become bigger than your faith for God, that means that you're going to manipulate people to get what you want. We had a saying always that says, faith without works is dead, but faith with words is also dead. You don't have to prove people wrong. Listen to Paul. He says the following. He says, but by smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. But everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord. This makes me very happy. I want you to be wise in doing right and to stay innocent of any wrong. I want to be wise. I want to be filled with the Spirit. But God called us to love. So I want to love. I want to be compassionate. I want to be focused on that. You see, the greatest way to keep love flowing in our lives is to trust God for a supernatural touch. So I've always felt like, oh, I don't have anything to give to you. But you know, I can trust God for a supernatural touch in your life. I can trust your God for something so much better. Can, can I give you a different perspective on this? If you had two options to give immediately now, and you run into someone with a need, which one would you choose? Number one, if you can give all the worldly riches. You can change someone's life. Lotto, forget it. Bigger than a lotto. I can change someone's life today. Boom. You can choose that. Or you can give someone the presence of God. What would you choose? Because that's quite challenging to me. Because what do I choose? Oh, I don't have a tin. I've, I've, sorry, I can't help you today. I'll pray for you. <laughs> Look how Peter and John answered this question. I love this. Acts 3, verse 1 to 6. And Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate. So he called, so he could beg for the people, beg from the people to go, uh, that, that was going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently. Now I want you to, to see that this morning. If you look at, if, I've worked, if someone is demon possessed, <laughs> I, I, this man wasn't. What do you do? You tell that thing, look at me. Because I can't look to you in the eyes. It's a spiritual thing. Because the Spirit of God in your life is so incredible. 
it convicts. So Paul says, for me it's quite great. He says, look at me. In, look at me. Because he wanted to expose that spirit and he wanted to change his life. Look at what he said. Look at me. Uh, so sorry, John looked at him intently and he said, and Peter said, look at us. The layman looked at them eagerly. And he also, it's also a thing from, I'm not worthy. Will you give to me? He said, no, look at me because your identity is not in that. Your identity is not in that. He said, look at me. This layman looked at him, um, them eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I give you, what, uh, sorry, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. Man. See, when we carry the Holy Spirit within us, we should not be manipulated by the enemy. Paul said, sorry, I will not be manipulated today, Peter. He said, look at me. I'll give you what I have today. And it's going to be better than all the riches. Stand up and walk. And I promise you that man's life changed immediately. Immediately. You see, we should give much better. We can give much better than we think. You see, we should be led by compassion and not guilt or obligation or fear in our lives. Jesus is the greatest example of this power of, of compassion. Every time Jesus, before Jesus did a great miracle, go and read the Scriptures, go and read the New Testament. Every time before He did a miracle, the Word says, and He had compassion on them. And what did He do? He healed them. He didn't say, and He provided for them. He didn't say, I had compassion and I gave them all He had. No, He healed them. Because it's the greatest gift that life can ever give. Why should we be any different with this? And the more compassion we look for, the more compassion we look for every day, guess what? The more we would see the world through Jesus' eyes. I realized this week, I was sitting in a, in a healing school and I realized, why don't I pray for more people? Because there's been times in my life that we've seen mighty miracles. Miracle upon miracle. I didn't walk past people without praying for them. And I sat there and I realized, why don't I see more miracles? And it's like God dropped it in my heart and said, Henny, because you don't look for compassion. You race through life. You're busy. Busy. Priest. Levite. I'm busy. I need to do important work. But if I look for compassion, guess what? God starts showing me the world through His eyes. And if, you, if we are led by the Holy Spirit to be compassionate and give and help and change lives, and the Holy Spirit said, give a thousand rand, give so many, whatever you had. Praise God. You were led by the Spirit. I would rather be led by the Spirit and give all my riches. I promise. Because I know the Spirit will do exactly what I need to. Sometimes you can be a millionaire and God says, don't give any money but pray. But Lord, I can actually give. No, no, I want you to pray. Because there is something that needs to happen. If Peter and John gave money and then prayed, it would have been all about the money. It would have. Sometimes we just need to listen to the Holy Spirit. I would rather want people to get the Spirit, get them God into their lives, than to give them everything they need. Because that will be everything they need. Am I talking to someone here this morning? I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning, I promise you. I was working at a sim, I was like, Lord Jesus, can I give this to someone else to preach, please? Because we need to hear this. 
I don't want to be manipulated by the enemy. I want to be manipulated by the Holy Spirit. I want to be moved by Him to touch, touch lives. Jesus told a story to a man known as an expert in the law. But he manipulated the law to fit his comfortability. He manipulated the word so that he would feel better. So why, who, sorry, who is our neighbor according to Jesus? <laughs> Remember? Jesus answered the man, so who is my neighbor? So Jesus said, answered, whoever God is leading you to with compassion in your heart. That's your neighbor. That's everyone. Sometimes I walk past people with needs because the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to me. But I speak to them and say, man, bless you. I don't have, really don't have something to give to you, but can I pray with you? So I always have that to give. But I try to listen to the Holy Spirit constantly and say, Lord, what do you want to do? How do you feel? Then I test it with someone close to me or next to me. How do you feel in your heart? And then we give. And that's what we do in our church as well. That's why we have a financial committee. That's why we can give because God has called our church to give. And that funds will flow through our church, not just in our, to our church. May there more funds flowing through our church than into our church. Because that's supernatural. So may that be our true direction given in our lives. That we are led by the Holy Spirit in every situation of our lives. I don't care about manipulation. Yes, there's a lot of manipulation out there. But may I bring the Spirit. May I bring the Holy Spirit into every moment I give. So if you are here in this morning and you struggle, you struggle with guilt because you're not giving enough, because you're not doing enough, I want to pray for you this morning. Maybe you're here and you feel obligated and guilty every time. Because I do sometimes. Maybe you need to hear this message. Maybe you need to hear this morning that there is a spirit of manipulation out there to, to bruise your heart that needs to love. I need to have a clean heart towards God. Because I want to give out of a clean heart, not out of a manipulative heart. And then when I hear manipulation, I would step back. And then sometimes when I prayed, it changes, and I can see a powerful work. Then I step forward and I give. So I want to pray for you this morning that God would switch on compassion in your life and in your heart. Amen. Can we stand together? Yes, Father, we thank you this morning that our life can reflect that we love you everything we do, Father. Lord, I pray this morning that we will not be led by any spirit but your spirit. That we will not be manipulated into a place where we have no choice but to do. But Lord, that your love comes in and overflow every situation around us. That we will give because your love are pushing us to a place where we can't help ourselves. Lord, I pray that, that you will lift this burden from our, from our shoulders this morning. That we will not be manipulated anymore, but we will give because we are compassionately giving where your Spirit leads us.
will you show us? Father, there will not be any guilt anymore in our lives, but that there will be a joy to be a cheerful giver, cheerfully in your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that when we meet situations where we are asked to give, Lord, may we give a supernatural gift that no other man can give but you. But that you use us as instruments to give supernatural gifts. Lord, I pray for testimony upon testimony of how we stepped out and gave what you have given us. There will be places where you we tell us, give financially, give resources. Thank you, Lord, that we will be so focused on you that we will hear and we will be led by your Spirit. Lord, thank you for a freeing moment this morning. And we will not be held captive by a spirit that's not from you. We will be led by a spirit that is free and empowering. In Jesus' name. Amen.